Here's what's coming up on this week's show. One of the ones that I really like was the uh, moist wipes for, for like toilet tissue. I mean, that's that word again. Yeah, exactly. we, 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 oh, sorry, nobody <laughs> likes it, do they? But you know, I hate that word so much. Can't believe you've used fark and moist <laughs> in the same episode. The uh, yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the Big Little Business Show, the podcast that helps small business think big. Hey, hey, how you doing? Welcome to the Big Little Business Show. It's Paul Mumford over here, the lovely Claire Horsley over there. Before we go any further, if you're listening to us for the first time. Hi, and thank you for listening. Make sure you hit that subscribe button so you get future episodes directly into your phone device. And don't forget to check out all our back episodes too, of which there are many. Oh, and leave us a review too. Let us know what you think about the podcast when you've listened to this episode. That'll help to big us up in podcast land. So before we launch into this week's topic, make sure you hang around to hear about how you can win £500 to help your business. Oh, yes, our very first competition. So, Paul, I understand that today we are talking to your ex-wife. Oh, yeah, we are. <laughs> My ex-radio wife. Let's get this right. I've worked in radio for 20, 25-ish, quite a long time. And I've presented loads of breakfast shows in the past with co-presenters. And you work so closely with those people. They do become your kind of radio wives, really. A bit like you're my radio wife right now, Claire. Stop it already. <laughs> so my first radio wife has spent the last 20 years working in marketing, but very specifically working with a very difficult topic. So what are we going to be talking about today? How to sell something that's boring. Something that's boring. Yeah. If you're like, if you work in like a hairdressers or something, or you sell candles, then promoting that on social media is dead easy. True. True. What about if it's something dull like health and safety? Yeah, it's kind of not glitzy and pretty and sexy, is it? But then you look at some of the things on TV. The most memorable adverts on TV right now are the ones that sell boring products like insurance. They're all great adverts and they're memorable but they're boring topics. Yeah, because selling anyway can be quite challenging, but what do you do if it's not all glitzy and shiny um, and it's boring? That's got to be more difficult, right? Now, this is a subject we've been asked to cover quite a lot. How do you sell something that perhaps is a little bit boring? And Tracy knows how, right? Tracy certainly does. So Tracy Lawrence has worked in marketing now um, for a number of London-based companies uh, since her radio divorce 20 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) So Tracy is an expert as to how you can communicate and sell a boring product, but most importantly, um, the skills that are needed to sell something that perhaps is a little bit more boring um, than other products out there. So let's find out a little bit more about how she does that. This is the Big Little Business Show. So, Tracy, let's ignore the fact that we're going to be talking about boring subjects and boring products today. Forget that for a second. Let's talk about anything. What kind of things do you need to have in place to bring any product to market, uh, whether it's boring or not? What things to have in place? And there's so many things. I think the thing to start with is to really plan around what it is that you're trying to sell or market. Um, And I think we can really, really quickly and too easily jump to the end game and kind of go, right, I'm selling uh, a box of matches. So what, you know, what's their USP? What do you want to do with a box of matches? Okay, you want to, you know, light something. But I think you need to go back and actually really look at what, is going to be unique about your matches, for example, if we're using matches as an example. 
and, and go from, from that angle, because I think it can be really, really easy to just follow the path of everybody else and the people that are selling the same product as you and then doing the same, you try and do it better, but it, you, you're then, you're not standing out in your market. So really focusing on the uniqueness of why yours are different and focusing on maybe those three key points rather than the product itself. Absolutely. And I think that this is where when you see really great marketing or advertising, this is where it it really shines. And one really great example that I loved when I heard it, and I don't know if you know this, but Mr. Kipling's cakes were born out of a problem. So Hovis, the flour um, provider, um, went to their advertising agency in the 1960s and said, we've got all this excess flour. We've got loads of flour. No one's buying flour. You know, the housewives have gone out to work. They're no longer baking cakes. They're no longer making their own bread. No one's buying this flour and we've got excess and it's going to it's going to go rotten if we if we can't sell it. How can we persuade people to buy more flour? And so the advertising agency thought about it and decided that actually that's going to be really, really difficult to make people buy something that they're just not going to use. So let's turn it on its head and let's create a new brand. And that's where Mr. Kipling's cakes came about. So they actually turned a problem of having surplus product and not being able to sell that product in the form that it was in into a brand new product. And then they sold that all to the housewives who were going out to work and didn't have time to bake their own cakes. I love that story. I didn't know about that. That's great. Really good little story. Yeah, that's awesome. The thing is, though, and this is why we've got you on, Tracy, the thing is, it's great and easy, easier to sell something that people want. Yeah. But what about if you're trying to sell something that people need, which is usually a bit more boring? How do you sell something like that? Like, I mean, a good, a good example. Everyone needs a plumber every now and again, but plumbing ain't sexy. How do you, how do you make it sort of seem like it's something that people want rather than what people need? Yeah, and that's a good question. It's, it's, it's really hard to make something that's not sexy sexy and I think again you kind of have to think around the problem and the other thing that you that you can do with marketing is change the channel that you're using so with plumbing it looks boring you know if you didn't if you did a an advert you know a picture advert of plumbing how can you make that look sexy? You can't really. But actually, if you looked at um, maybe doing a different, maybe utilising a different channel. So if you were going to uh, try and advertise plumbing on radio, say, it could be more interesting because you think about all of those noises, all of the things that could actually kind of inspire you and kind of, you know, the running water and those things that tap into people's emotions and they tap into your memory. I like the way you did that, tap See? into people's emotions. <laughs> That's, That's clever. That's <laughs> why I get the big buck. So it, it's, it's about kind of um, igniting a memory or igniting a feeling. And actually on that, I don't know if you've seen... Um, Actually, it's more than an advert. It's 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 about four minutes long, uh, offering from Virgin Atlantic. It's actually a, a video, uh, but it uses sound, and it's all about 
getting getting us back to wanting to go on holiday because obviously at the moment we know we can't and so they're using all of those little sounds from the moment you leave your house to go to the airport the door shutting and yeah the door shutting the locking of the door you know getting getting into the taxi um the the your suitcase wheels rolling along the floor the escalator as you go up to go into departures and then as you get onto the plane and it, oh, it's absolutely fabulous and it's about igniting memories and uh, you know i guess with plums <laughs> that might be quite tricky in terms of a positive memory but i think that you've got to try and turn anything that's slightly mundane and boring or possibly even negative into something positive and you know if you think of plumbing you think oh you know blocked drain uh something's leaking uh you know your shower's not working it's, it's all quite negative but maybe it's about turning it into positives and it's about having that lovely relaxing bath at the end of the night and having your candle on the edge of the bath and wouldn't it be beautiful if you had a brand new bath that you could do that in and it's about you know sw- swapping out the the sort of what we could deem as negative um connotations around a product and make them positive what's a really good example of that is marmite we all know about marmite you know, because some people love it, some people hate it. And they use that in their marketing. And they know they cannot force somebody who hates it to love it. But they're sparking a conversation between everyone. No, I love it. No, I hate it. And you do actually say that to people, don't you? Well, I do anyway. So if someone comes over and they want some toast, well, I might love it or hate it. <laughs> you saw it's like that tagline, I guess, isn't it? Yeah, it's one of those ideas that you think, oh, cracky, why hadn't I thought of that? And don't you find that, um, uh, Claire, you'll probably see this as well, that the adverts that are on telly at the moment that are the most memorable are the ones selling the most boring products. Insurance is a really good example. You've got Go Compare, you've got the Meerkat, you've got the Opera Singer, you've got uh, Money Supermarket. I mean, how stupid is that? But it's so clever. And that's really making a, a boring subject, a boring product memorable, isn't it? Absolutely. And another really great example, which I don't know if you know about, and this is one of my favorite things of all time and I'm dying for them to do it again because I want to experience it in real life yeah Uh, but VW and obviously we all know Volkswagen advertising absolutely brilliant you know they're more than just a car brand they definitely have a personality and that's 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 a big thing actually is giving your product a personality it doesn't matter how dull it is exactly as you've just said with the meerkats I mean who doesn't love the meerkats Sergei isn't it Sergey, is that the name of the? Wow, I mean, she could. Oh my god! even remember the name of the meerkat. Exactly. But with VW, they did this fabulous thing. They were trying to look at a problem in a different way. So one of the things that they looked at was uh, how to stop people speeding. It's a really dull message. No one wants to talk about it. You know, everybody, everybody does it. Uh, but how do you stop people doing it? Because at the moment, what we do is we find people, and that's a really negative way of looking at it and um and it, it's not particularly nice so what they did is they turned it on its head and they had a speed camera a set of traffic lights which are notorious for people speeding through and instead of the camera photographing you if you go to well it does if if you go too fast it actually photographs you regardless so everybody that goes through this set of traffic lights gets photographed and then those that are speeding get fined But those that aren't speeding get entered into a lottery at the end of the month and they win, potentially, 
all of the money that's been raised from all the people that sped through the traffic lights. And so they had a 50% reduction in speeding through those traffic lights just by turning it around. That is genius. I love that. That's so clever. So the other sort of one of the other sort of social problems I suppose we have is littering. And again, it's a really dull message. You know, we've seen so many sort of ways of, you know, don't litter, don't be a, you know, don't be a litter bug or whatever. But actually, to really change someone's behaviour and make them either buy something, do something that they wouldn't normally do is really difficult. Um, And so what they did is they put uh, cameras and uh, audio onto bins. And so every time someone puts a piece of rubbish in in a dustbin in the middle of a city somewhere, it would talk to them. Again, the the amount of litter that was then put in these bins, the bins were overflowing. The council couldn't empty them quick enough because people were tripping over themselves to go and put the litter in that bin because it was just it was absolutely brilliant. And again, you know, they were doing it live in real time. And obviously you couldn't do that with every single litter bin in the country. Um, But it would talk to them, go, thank you very much. Brilliant. Brilliant. I think that's such a cool idea. I love that. How great. I think the problem is, I think with some products, it's really easy to market a product like, I don't know, like, like you said, candles or uh, makeup or something like that, because it's, you know, you can make it look really, really great on social media. Um, But when you're doing something that perhaps, like you say, has got a bit of a negative impact or perhaps is a little bit dull, you've got to approach approach it from a different angle, haven't you? Absolutely. And it is all about, you know, looking at the benefits, but also going beyond the obvious. It just goes to show, doesn't it? Just looking at things with a slightly different slant. And as you're saying, with a more positive um, outcome, just conveys a completely different message to what is sort of a more obvious response. Um, Yeah, it's really clever. So you talked about... uh, really people buying through emotion um, before. Uh, Do you think that uh, more work needs to be done to promote the product uh, based on the necessity to the user um, and to really focus on its value for the user even more so as well? Yeah, absolutely. And I think we probably don't do that enough. And especially in sort of modern uh, sort of advertising or marketing, I think that we assume that Everybody knows what its benefits might be. Um, you know, if you, especially if you go back to your um, analogy of the of the plumber, it's kind of like, well, if you need a plumber, you need a plumber. But actually, if you tap into what someone could could want or need with a plumber, it could actually be a really sort of dire situation where they've got you know pipes leaking or whatever. And actually, that that's a compelling reason if. Uh, I mean, actually, it's really hard to get hold of a plumber, isn't it? Do you not find this really Yeah, hard? they never turn up when you want them either. <laughs> I actually had a plumber around yesterday. Yeah, well, lucky you, because I can't get one. <laughs> Maybe that is a marketing angle. Yeah, absolutely. And that's it. There you go. Well done. Thanks, I'm going to write that down. You cannot get hold of a plumber. You can't get, you know, and that's it. They're like gold dust. They are. I mean, that's the start of something, isn't it? There we are. Look at this. We're creating a brand right here. A gold plumber. Sod the podcast. Let's go into plumbing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Actually, I tell you what, that's what I'd have my kids doing. It's, uh, yeah, there's there's definitely not enough plumbers. But that's it. It's about just about looking at it differently, about looking at the benefits and, um, and, and the potential need that you don't necessarily have now. And it is also about creating that 
need and kind of saying, did you know that you needed this? You might not have thought that you needed it, but you actually really need it. And then it sows a seed in somebody's head. Let's go back to the, the whole thing we were talking about with, you know, with the meerkats and uh, and the way that they sell insurance at the moment. I mean, like you said earlier on, meerkats have absolutely nothing to do with insurance. They're not connected in any way. So does it, do you think it's a good idea to have a gimmick to sell a product that's perhaps not very exciting? Do you know, I think it, I think you have to be really careful with that. However, the meerkats is an example where they've done it really well. I'd love to be able to now come up with an example where they haven't done it so well, but my brain doesn't work that quickly. But The thing is with the meerkats, though, Trace, is that I actually find them quite irritating, but the fact that they are irritating, that I remember them. Yeah, absolutely. And that's actually another good point. So there are a lot of adverts that use an irritating or um, alarming kind of... Um, maybe noise or visual that actually wakes you up and kind of makes you look or listen. And one example is the, um, is the, and again, I can't even remember the name, but it's like an IT thing and it goes. Doo, 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 doo. Oh, it's Intel, isn't it? Intel, Intel. that's it. it. Obviously works as a campaign because you can't remember the product. <laughs> yeah, I know. Not much. <laughs> you did, but you did. And I think yeah. that, that that's the thing, isn't it? Everybody knows that little sound. Well, it's like the McDonald's thing, isn't it? The, yeah, the whistle. I mean, now you just hear that whistle and you associate it with McDonald's. Yeah. So clever. Yeah, and that's it. It is about that kind of association. And almost, I think, with those brands that have been going for so long, they obviously need to keep at the top of their game. They can utilise those little things, but they can't be complacent and they can't rest on their laurels. And it's about using the channel in the right way. You know, you can't do something on TV that you can do in print and you can't do something in print that you would do on social media. You have to be very specific about the channel. And I think that's also another area where, you know, we kind of think, oh, well, slap it on a billboard, slap it in a newspaper, slap it on telly. And actually you need to speak to your audience in a different way, depending on which channel you're using. So if we're um, promoting or selling a product that's, you know, maybe more boring, not so glitzy and shiny, you know, rather like, <clears throat> excuse me, like a red Ferrari uh, kind of, you know, you look at it and it sells itself. But do you feel the audience need to be more uh, educated about the use of the product itself? Do you think more focus needs to go on the actual you know, use of it and how they can benefit from it because from the outside, it's not going to look very appealing. Yes and no. I mean, I guess it depends on on the product, but I also think that there are a lot of products where you're actually being sold the dream rather than the reality. That's where the kind of marketing or advertising genius works. It's when you're sold something that you ultimately don't really want or need. <laughs> There's a lot of that in advertising. True. Yeah. And and so I think that as I said before, I think it is about sort of tapping into those emotions. It's not nice really, but your kind of insecurities, you know, and, and actually you you use Ferrari as an example, you know, everyone wants a Ferrari because it's beautiful and red, but it's only because we have been led to believe that we want a Ferrari, that we think Ferraris are good. There's a fine line between something being really, really cool and actually then it was yesterday's news and nobody wants it anymore. You know, like wallaby shoes. Do you remember those? Clark's wallabies. No. You know, do you not remember those? No, I don't. What were they all about? They were so cool and fashionable when I was at school. Uh, they were granny shoes, essentially, uh, you know, the kind of shoes that your mum and dad would want you to wear because they're good for your feet. They're Clark's shoes. And then something transformed them 
from these granny shoes into the shoe to be seen in. And so I think that actually it's about tapping into what people believe is or and kind of building a story around something. It doesn't necessarily have to be that good in essence. So I don't think I don't think focusing on the benefits is always the key to unlocking that fabulous marketing message. And a great example of that actually is if you look at Microsoft advertising versus Apple advertising. So if you see any advert for any Apple product, does it tell you what it does? No, it doesn't, does it? No. Uh, So you don't know how many pixels the camera's got in your phone. You don't know really any of the benefits of your phone, but you know it's cool and you know it plays music and you know all of the benefits of it being able to hook up with all of your other Apple products. A Microsoft product or an Android phone, for example, Samsung, you know how many pixels, you know how much zoom it's got, you know every single thing. It tells you all of that detail. And so it doesn't necessarily make it a sexier product or a product that people want more just because ultimately it may even be better than the Apple equivalent, but it doesn't have that sort of sexy notion around it that's a really good example actually that because yeah you're right um just just apple products appear cooler by the fact that they're an apple product not necessarily because they're a better product exactly very clever so let's get into something really really boring tracy which is something that you sell health and safety which i mean i'm losing the world to live with (laughs) even asking the question so what do you do to help people understand that a health and safety is something that perhaps they should be interested in and b what you do is better than any other health and safety product out there one of our clients actually itv they sort of let me into a little secret about how they look at health and safety within itv And it totally changed my thinking around health and safety because obviously I had to say, oh God, how boring, men in grey suits. Whereas actually ITV, they put health and safety into the consciousness of every single one of their staff by saying, if you do this thing, whatever that might be, filming this TV show or going out on location to this to, to do something, How safe are you and all of your colleagues? Could one of you get hurt? How could you get hurt? And what can you do to prevent that happening? Now, that might seem like a really simple question. And and you'd kind of think, well, I think of that anyway. You know, when you cross the road, what you could could I get hit by a car? Yes, I could. Okay, I look both ways before I cross. It's really, really simple. But if you flip that and look at how most companies approach health and safety, what they would say is, you know, the health and safety advisor would come up to you and say, right, you're going out on location. Here's a risk assessment. Can you go through all of the questions and tick how how safe you think something might be? And then at the end, it'll tell you whether it's a safe thing to do or not a safe thing to do. It's just those, those two words. Right there, risk assessment. I mean, straight away, I'm nodding off. 100%. So you look at this sheet, you go through the questions because you have to, you tick them off. It's a tick box exercise. You don't think about it. You just do it because you're having to do it and it's a sort of drudgery. 
it's completely different because you're not taking responsibility for yourself. You're doing a risk assessment because somebody else has told you to do it. You've ticked the box, therefore you've done it, but you've not taken responsibility for your own safety. And that's where ITV really flipped it for me. And I thought, that's so interesting, isn't it? Because actually, if you were about to do something that you knew might be slightly dangerous, for example, you know, ITV produced The Jump. That was really stressful watching that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was really stressful. So obviously that, that was a high risk TV program for them to make. But they don't shy away from it because the, everybody on that crew takes responsibility for their own safety and they think about their own safety. So it's not just a box ticking exercise. They don't have this risk assessment that people have to fill out and then take that to the health and safety manager. They have to assess it for themselves and know that they are comfortable and put measures in place until they are comfortable. And so it's about looking at health and safety in a different way. So it's not kind of, oh God, we've got to do this because otherwise we're not compliant and we could get fined by the HSE, the you know, health and safety executive who sort of monitors and manages all of these things for, you know, industry across the across the country. Um, it's about actually, how would you feel if somebody fell off that roof whilst they were tiling it and died, you know, or if they hit their head and were seriously injured? You know, nobody wants that. Um, and so it's about looking at, um, looking at it in a different way. Um, and that's how we kind of try try to sell it really so it's kind of you know this isn't just about you making sure that you're compliant so that you've ticked that box this is about making sure that your colleagues and your employees are safe when they're doing the job that they're employed to do because otherwise ultimately you're responsible and do you want that on your conscience they're taking ownership aren't they taking ownership themselves that's so powerful you're so right and just by flipping it and looking at it from a different perspective suddenly makes it almost a completely different product. So you've given a few examples of, you know, how it can affect us and if we if we don't look after ourselves and, you know, adhere to health and safety. So do you think it'd be an idea to share stories um, about what could happen um, and how to rectify it to try to get that message across? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, that's it, it's one of those really difficult ones, isn't it? Because, you know, no one wants to be kind of saying, well, if you... Oh, sorry. It's my... Uh, it's, my, my phone, thought I had it on silent. So unprofessional. I know. I used to have to work with this every morning for like three exactly. years. I don't know how I did it. <laughs> <laughs> with health and safety, it's really difficult with the stories because obviously there are hundreds, sadly, of stories of people getting maimed and injured at work every day. And still the biggest killer of people is asbestos, which is like a silent killer. No one really wants to hear those really negative stories about someone getting crushed or someone getting hit or falling off a roof. I think the problem with those stories is people think, oh, yeah, but that won't happen to me. So I think the stories can almost kind of make it mythical in a way. I, I think that using those really dramatic stories, I don't know if that works. A really good example of that, smoking. Everybody knows that smoking is not good for them, but people still do it. I don't think those really hard-hitting messages necessarily are the best all of the time. I think that sometimes you've got to think around it and look at it from a different angle. I think those 
hard-hitting ones, people just sort of brush away. Yeah, I think that's the same for every other kind of product that certainly I can think of at the top of my head that's a bit boring. Uh, so therefore, if you try and uh, make people aware of what can happen if they don't do these things, then, yeah, essentially what you're showing them is a horror movie. Yeah, I think another, another really great example of some fantastic communication, which I just think was absolutely inspired along these kind of lines. The Colombian Ministry of Defence had a specific issue with a guerrilla group um, called FARC, which is the most, um, say it say it carefully, FARC, F-A-R-C. Sorry, what was that, Tracy? It was what, sorry? <laughs> um, they were, you know, they were signing up young kids and it was getting worse and worse and worse. And so the Colombian easy for me to say, Colombian yeah. Ministry of Defense. You can get that word wrong, but not the other one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they were looking at how do we get through to these terrorists, essentially? I mean, how do we get them to lay down arms? I mean, that must be the most difficult communication marketing message of all, right? What they did is that they, the advertising agency that they actually went to, to kind of say, right, how can we get this message across? Because Ultimately, let's just say, stop maiming and killing people. That's not going to work because that's what they're there for. That's what they do. And so what they did is they actually interviewed some ex-guerrilla terrorists and discovered that a really big thing for these terrorists, because obviously they're in, they're in exile. You know, they don't, they, once they've signed up to this terrorist group, that's it. They don't see their friends. They don't see their family. That's it. Their life is essentially over as they knew it. Uh, so what they did is they found out that it, Christmas time was a really, really poignant time for, for these people because they were very, um, uh, ironically, uh, very religious. And it was the time where they missed their family the most. And they thought, right, if we can get in there at Christmas and actually give them this message that you can come home for Christmas, then it might work. And so what they did is they actually flew Black Hawk helicopters into the jungle and they put uh, Christmas lights in the jungle canopy and messages that would light up when these, and they knew the path that the guerrillas um, terrorists took through the jungle. Uh, so they put all of these lights and these messages across the path, just saying, come home for Christmas. And as they walked through, they would light up and they would see the Christmas lights. They got a 30% uplift on the previous year of um, this, these terrorists actually laying down arms and 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 going home. That's so clever. I mean, that's not a conversation I expected us to have in this podcast, Tracy, <laughs> talking about terrorism and guerrilla warfare, but um, that's a most bizarre example I've ever heard in my life, but great. <laughs> but it's about, isn't it? It's about that really difficult message, that really, it's just about how you do it, how, you know, really think about it because you can't just say, what you want to say. You've got to do it in a way that actually touches somebody. Funnily enough, that kind of goes on to what I was going to ask you next. It's almost like we've worked together before. Um, <laughs> uh, how do you sell a sensitive product? I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously, guerrilla warfare, quite <laughs> sensitive. But what about something like a divorce lawyer, for example? Or there's a campaign going around at the moment about bowel cancer. Yeah. We don't get much more sensitive than that. Yeah. Um, 
so uh, how do you sell something like that? Well, do you know, one, one of the ones that I really like was the uh, moist wipes for, for like toilet tissue. I mean, that, is that word again? Yeah, we, that, oh, sorry, <laughs> nobody likes it, do they? But you know, I hate that word so much. I hate it. It's, but you know, it's one of those things. I can't believe you've used fuck and moist <laughs> in the same episode. Uh, yeah, I have actually been asked to get those words into the podcast. <laughs> Not a particularly exciting thing to talk about, is it? Wiping your bum. Who wants to talk about that? As you say, you know, divorce lawyers, difficult things. But actually, what I really like about the, uh, the I think it was Andrex wipes, is they were using loads of different, almost emoji type images for bums, you know, like peaches and, you know, different kind of things that actually kind of sort of spark that in your head. And you kind of go, yeah, they're talking about bums. So they're kind of talking about it, but in a quirky kind of funny way. And I know that you probably can't make fun of a uh, of a divorce lawyer, but you know maybe maybe you can. You know maybe it's still just a, a human fact, isn't it? You know things, you know relationships break down, and you know you might need a divorce lawyer. So um, maybe you can just poke fun at those things a bit, and because we are so British and uptight, you know, talking about bowel cancer you know we're not very good at talking about those things so I think if you do it with a slight touch of humor but obviously respectfully uh, I think that can work so we we talk a lot about uh, testimonials and you know how incredibly powerful they are for business so the people that are actually you know have used the product can share their experiences um do you think maybe a boring product relies more on these than more of the maybe shiny glitzy businesses all i ever do is bang on about needing to get testimonials and and case studies i think they're really useful especially for for small businesses to kind of say this is a problem that one of our customers came to us with and this is how we fixed it or you know this is a product that we do and this is how our customer is using it or how it's made them feel it's difficult with all of the kind of fake reviews around these days but I think if you make it into more of a a case study even even rather than just like a small sort of snapshot review that can do wonders I guess as well it really helps with people uh, to help people to identify a need where maybe they didn't even realize it absolutely by having that case study can really open people's eyes to thinking actually i can relate to that we might also have that same problem which you maybe wouldn't get from a testimonial exactly and i think also the other thing is if you've got a business that sells multiple services or products upselling is the best way to obviously get more money out of your existing customer base it's easier to sell to people that you already sell to and and I think that case studies can do that as well. You know, we you you might have customers that always purchase a specific product off of you. They don't even know that you do that other thing. So how about coming up with ideas? Now I know Tracy, when you and I worked together on the radio, we would spend hours every day coming up with new ideas uh, and do lots and lots of brainstorming. But in a situation like this, where perhaps it's not quite so easy to come up with obvious ideas. What do you think about the whole brainstorming thing? And who do you think it would be good to get in to brainstorm with? Yeah, that's interesting. At the moment, I work in a marketing department of one. So that's me on my own. And when you're on your own, you know, you need somebody to bounce those ideas off of. You need that interaction. I think that's really, really important. And brainstorming sessions, I think, are fabulous. But one thing that I always say to to the people that I work with at the moment, everybody 
has good ideas. You don't have to be creative. You don't have to be a marketing person. You don't have to be an advertising person. Everybody in the company that I work for has the ability to come up with good ideas. And actually just getting together and chatting about um, your products, your services, why somebody might want to buy them or an experience of why a customer did buy them in the past can then kind of tease out those, oh, well, hang on, have we thought about looking at it like this? And then it, it just sparks a hundred percent. I think that it's really important to get all of your employees um, involved in um, brainstorming sessions. Definitely. So um, what would be uh, your top three golden rules for selling something that maybe is a little bit boring? Top three golden rules. I would say, think about the channel, think about the benefits and think outside the box. Brilliant. Thank you, Tracy. I didn't realise that you knew all this stuff because you and I have worked together before. We were just jerking around on the radio before. <laughs> but, you know, this is a whole mess of stuff you've learnt since we've been apart. Oh, well. I'm really looking forward to this part because we always finish off the show by uh, asking a whole bunch of totally irrelevant questions inspired by a US TV show called Inside the Actor Studio. Uh, they have nothing to do with the topic. I'm not quite sure whether I'd be able to answer some of these on your behalf. Maybe I would. I don't know. Yeah, of course you would. Let's, fi- let's find <laughs> out. This is worth explaining before we go any further is when you're doing something like this and Claire, you'll know about this because Claire and I have been doing this podcast for a year now. When you're working with someone that intensely, um, as Tracy and I did for like three years or so, I guess it must maybe a bit longer than that. You put up with him for that long, Tracy. I know. Can you believe it? And really early in the morning as well. Yeah, it makes it even worse. It is a very, very (laughs) strong relationship and you do get to find out absolutely everything about one another, warts and all. So Tracy, what is your favourite smell? Well, what do you think it is? Oh, I love that. Straight oh, back to you. That. <laughs> I love that. I don't actually, do you know what? I don't know if you would know this one about me because I feel like this one, it's not that old. My favourite smell is the smell of freshly made coffee. You know why? I used to work in uh, Shoreditch uh, for many years and I would walk past uh, Spitalfields Market. I would walk past this lovely little Brazilian man uh, called Mr. Coffee. Obviously, that's not his real name. That would be so great if it was. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the name of his coffee. And he had he had a uh, one of those little like three wheeler bikes and a little coffee thing on the back. And I would walk past every morning and the smell was just so delicious that I would eventually come to buy his coffee, even though I didn't particularly like coffee. Wow. Um, That's marketing right there. Exactly. Because of the smell. And then I just grew to love it. And now I love coffee. Um, Yeah, weirdly. So it is the smell of freshly ground coffee. (laughs) Okay. If you could do any other profession other than what you are doing now, what would that be, Tracy? Do you know what I've always wanted to do? I've always wanted to be a stylist. I just, I love clothes. Paul, tell you, I absolutely love clothes. I love everything about them. I love hair. I love makeup. Do you you remember those jeans you bought in Brighton, Tracy? I do remember when I was with you. And I still remember those. They're so ingrained in my brain because they cost you an absolute fortune that you didn't have at the time. Always got to invest in a good pair of jeans. But also, do you remember the jeans that I bought? (laughs) <laughs> when I went on holiday to the south of France and I called them my stand-up jeans because <laughs> yes. they were so tight. I do remember Because you couldn't sit down in them. You remember my 
a stand-up jeans. I love clothes. I just think they're so empowering. And you can change your attitude with, with clothes. I just think they're amazing. And I, you know, and I really feel for, for somebody who kind of feels that they need to cover themselves up or hide behind clothes. And I just think they're just such a great tool to just make you feel better. And, and you know, you don't have to spend time with clothes. So, yeah, I'd be a stylist. Well, well, Tracy, that was a real education learned a few things that we didn't already know made us think about things in a slightly different way and made us realize that actually you can sell anything you just have to think about it a little bit differently so brilliant so i know there's a lot of people listening who might have a product that they're trying to sell that might be not quite as sexy as like makeup or candles or something so if they want to pick your brains a little bit further is there any way that people can get in touch with you yeah absolutely if they want to drop me a line on my email uh it's uh tracy-lawrence at hotmail.co.uk and you know you can put it on all your bits then then by all means i'm happy to you know help or answer any more questions this is the big little business show the podcast with bigger tips for small business so all of a sudden i don't know about you but a boring product doesn't seem like a boring product anymore because when you look at it from a slightly different slant and a different angle Actually, anything can be quite interesting. She came up with so many great uh, examples of how that works. The litter bin thing was brilliant. I love that litter bin idea. So lots of really great ideas there and lots of really great ways to think a little bit differently about how actually you just got to know how to go about it the right way. Yeah, and Tracy said about thinking outside the box and actually looking at things differently and how actually things can be a lot more fun than you realise if you just really use your imagination. And it was really weird doing something like this with her. After being on the radio with her like 20 years ago, it was just like I was, like, I was back there again. It was really weird. Oh, uh, so lovely. That was so good. Felt like I was cheating on you a little bit. Did you? Yeah, d- damn you. <laughs> That's it. We're, we're finished. <laughs> so as Claire alluded to at the beginning of the podcast, we do have a prize. It's our first competition. Um, I can't believe it's taken us a year yeah. to do a competition. <laughs> It has, but yeah, the competition is here. So as well as doing the podcast, I run a video production company. I make videos for social media, for small companies, for larger companies. I do music videos, all kinds of stuff like that. But I teach people how to make videos for themselves too. And we're giving you the chance to win £500 worth of me. I can either come and make a video for you or I can teach you how to make your own. Now, if you want to take part, all you have to do is put your email address in a box. As easy as that. You go to biglittlebusinessshow.co.uk Click on the link on the homepage and it'll take you to where you need to go to enter the competition. Entry closes at the end of May 2021. So if you're listening at any other time, maybe six months down the line or a year down the line, you're too late. But if you're listening to this podcast and it's May 2021, you can enter the competition by going to biglittlebusinessshow.co.uk and at the end of the month, we'll be picking a winner and it could be you getting a video made for your company or maybe get help learning how to make your own. Videos are such a powerful tool to communicate with your audience, but you know, very often we don't always get it right. So in order for us to convey the right message, make sure that we're doing all the right things, even from the positioning of the camera to the lighting to um, the signposting when people are watching a video, it's really crucial that you have the right skills to do that. And um, I guess you're the guy for the job. And it's so easy once you know how, it's so easy to do that stuff, but it's very easy to get it wrong. And like we've said many times before on this podcast, Claire, Whatever you put out there to represent your business is a representation of your business. So if you don't do it well, then 
that might be the first time someone's bumped into you on social media and they're going to get a really negative view of you if like your videos don't look great or if anything else doesn't look great for that matter. So it's worth spending a little bit of time working out how to do this properly and becoming great at it. It's just another skill that you need in your toolbox these days in order to sell yourself on social media. Yeah, exactly. And as you say, it's representation of yourself. You know, you are the brand of your business. So why wouldn't you make sure that you get that absolutely spot on? So that pretty much wraps us up. Whoa, for whoa, today. whoa, whoa, whoa. What are you doing? I don't know if I'll do the end bit for a change. Don't muck it up. So that's pretty much it from us today. Thank you for all of our listeners for all your continued support. You can download any of our podcasts. I believe we're on episode number 48 now. Um, from for, 40, 49. 40, okay, all right. <laughs> 49 now. You can find all our episodes. Carry on, carry on, carry on. Oh, now shush. I'm going to mute you in a minute. Shush. <laughs> you can find all our episodes on our website, um, biglittlebusinessshow.com. Co.uk, or you can download any of our podcasts on all of the major podcasting platforms. So, <laughs> why are you making me laugh? Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> so, don't forget to enter for the competition as well. Really, really important. So, you need to be in it to win it. And until next time, say goodbye, Paul. Bye bye. You've been listening to The Big Little Business Show with Paul Mumford and Claire Horsley. You can subscribe to get the latest episodes via iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn and everywhere you find your favourite podcasts. Come and find us at biglittlebusinessshow.co.uk and we're on Facebook too. Just search for Big Little Business Show. Listener.